Good morning. How's everybody doing? So thank you for this opportunity to share with you from God's Word. I would invite you to turn to Judges chapter 6. But before we look at that passage, just a quick thank you. Uh, I know this past week was a lot of work for the Chapel family here in putting the Vacation Bible School together. Uh, My kids had a blast. I had a blast. I feel it was a very profitable time. So thank you. It is always a pleasure when my wife and I come down to visit uh, from New Jersey. We feel like Boulevard Bible Chapel is our, our second family home. So not just nice to visit family, which is very nice, but the Chapel family. As well, so thank you again for the fellowship and uh, just a great time to, to spend with all of you here. So, this morning we'll be looking at part two of a three part mini series. So, Andrew started us off looking at the topic of discerning God's will last Sunday, right? We looked at Romans 12 too, and we determined that to discern God's will, we have to look at what is good, what is acceptable. what is perfect as laid out in Scripture, right? And so, we continue on this morning. Looking at discerning God's will, but looking at the topic of seeking a sign. Right? We see many occurrences of this in Scripture, um, but to ask ourselves the question, is this something we as believers today should do in discerning God's will? Should we ask for signs from God? Right? And we'll talk a little bit about what that actually means. Um, I encourage you to come out tonight. Tonight, we will have an interactive quiz with prizes. I have multiple prizes, so please do come out. Hopefully it will be a little bit of fun as well as a beneficial time, a profitable time in God's Word. But in talking about discerning God's will and discussing this topic, we can't proceed until we discuss the most important part of God's will. And I say the most important part because it's, it's the first step. right? And so when we talk about God's will, we want to talk about what does God desire. right? And we know from Scripture that God desires that all men be saved, and that all come to a knowledge of the truth. And I don't know everybody here this morning, and perhaps some visiting, um, but my prayer is, as well as the saints here, is that you would make that first step in following God's will, in being saved. Right? What does that mean? That means trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, repenting of your sin, and trusting in Him, that precious blood that was shed there at Calvary. That is the first step. If we're not trusting in Christ... We're not in God's will. Like he desires that all men be saved, coming to the knowledge of the truth. So that's my prayer this morning, that each person here would know the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. And that's where salvation is, in Christ. And our salvation is secure. But after that point, we are all faced with thousands, millions, billions, trillions of decisions for the rest of our lives. Right? And in each of those decisions, how do we discern God's will? How do we discern God's will? So, looking at this very massive topic of discerning God's will, specifically seeking a sign. When do people seek signs? Well, when they want wisdom. When they want discernment as far as what decision to make. Right? And so we're going to look at three questions, hopefully answer three questions this morning. Why seek a sign? Right? What is a sign and why do people seek signs? Then we're going to look at specific examples in the Bible. Right? Was it done in Bible times? Well, I'll tell you, yes it was. And we'll look at some of those examples. But looking at the examples in Scripture, we are to ask ourselves, what about today? As believers in the Lord Jesus Christ today, are we to ask for signs or confirmations in other words, to determine God's will. Should we be seeking for very specific things? And we'll talk about what that actually means. But why seek a sign? Well, what is a sign? And many definitions from different you know, Christian resources online. But really, uh, ultimately, 
A little bit of uh, funny signs there, so I apologize for that. Um, But God speaking to man in some manner, right? A sign is God communicating with mankind. And we know in Scripture this was done oftentimes in various ways. A few examples up there. In dreams, right? Genesis 28, Jacob had a dream. The stairway to heaven, right? In Exodus chapter 3, different life events like Moses at the burning bush, right? The burning bush that wasn't consumed, right? So God was speaking to Moses. This was some sort of sign. And we even read in the Gospels, I know particularly in John, the miracles that Jesus did are referred to as signs, right? Different ways that God communicates with mankind. My mind goes to Hebrews chapter 1, where we read that God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, right? And some of the prophets, I think multiple times in Jeremiah, we read that different signs were given, that really God emphasizing, this is my will for your life. This is my desire for what I want you to do. But today's definition, one resource that I found online, and I like this definition, because it really did uh, cause me to think about uh, some of the biblical examples we're going to look at. But when we talk about signs today, and we have very well-meaning believers encouraging other believers to ask, to ask for a sign, that God would confirm His word through a sign. And this definition, it's looking at ordinary events as having extraordinary meaning. And we'll see some of those in uh, in one particular case in the examples that we look at. But today, as believers, do we look at, or do we ask for certain ordinary events to have extraordinary meaning? So let's look at this. We're going to look in the Word of God, and I ask you to turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6, and to answer the question, was it done in Bible times? I already answered it for you. Yes, it was done in Bible times. But let's read Judges chapter 6, a familiar story to most, I'm sure. And I start with this one because this is often the one that's referred to when people encourage other people, um, believers encouraging believers, ask God for a sign. They'll often use the phrase, and maybe you've heard this phrase, have you put out your fleece? Has God honored your fleece? Right? And this is a phrase that we hear in um, asking God for a sign and seeing if God has confirmed it. But in Judges chapter 6, we see the angel of the Lord appear to Gideon. And what does Gideon say here? Judges chapter 6 and verse 17. Gideon speaking to the Lord. Then he said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign that it is you who talk with me. Gideon is asking for a sign. And we'll be jumping to various passages, but we do trust that the Lord will bless the reading and understanding of His Word. If now I have found favor in your sight, then show me a sign. Now this is actually the sign that I often forget about uh, when I think of the story of Gideon. Because what happens is, in the next few verses, Gideon says, Show to me that it really is you speaking to me, Lord. And he prepares a meal, he prepares an offering, and he sets it on a rock. And let's jump down to verse 21. He sets it on this rock as commanded by the angel of God. And verse 21, Then the angel of the Lord put out the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire rose out of the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread. And the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. Now Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. That's a pretty significant sign. I don't know about you, but for me, if I had seen that fire rise up out of this rock and consume this offering, that would be sign enough for me to believe that this was God, right? And I say that, yet, if I was in Gideon's situation, I, I can't confidently say that I would have acted otherwise. 
Because we see that that wasn't necessarily sign enough. Because what happens? A number of verses down. Let's go down to verse 36. Judges chapter 6, verse 36. And this is oftentimes the sign that I think of when I think of Gideon. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Today I shall put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only, and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And this wasn't, oh, well, is it a little damp? Is it what? No, God confirmed this sign. It was a bowl full of water. Right? So we see Gideon asking for a sign, and God responding to that request. He wasn't rebuked for it. It doesn't appear that he was um, condemned for doing such a thing. But God confirmed that sign. That first sign, the fire rising up out of the rock. If that wasn't enough. Now Gideon asks, have the fleece be wet and the ground dry all around it. And if that wasn't enough, Gideon continues. And as we see Gideon's request for another sign, I almost see it as apologetic. Right? He's almost hesitant to approach the Lord. Look at verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test, I pray, just once more with the fleece. Let it now be dry on the fleece, and on all the ground let there be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on all the ground. And in each of these cases, it appears that God confirms this sign that Gideon asked for. Now, many might suggest, well, look at the faith of Gideon. And he has that confidence that God is going to answer him through this sign. And just my, my understanding as I'm reading this passage, look at verse 36, and listen carefully to these words. So Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. As you have said. It appears to Gideon that the word of God is clear. Right? Gideon knows that God has clearly declared that Gideon would save Israel from the Midianites. But he says, if you will indeed do as you clearly instructed, right? And so what I see here is, is a sign of, at least signs of somewhat of a weak faith, right? Signs of doubt, signs of um, a lack of faith, right? And I'm not here to, to judge Gideon. If I was in that same situation, I perhaps would have had those same feelings, right? Well, God said this, but can I really trust it? But twice over, he says, as you have said. And my may I encourage you, as we talk about discerning God's will, oftentimes in the Word of God, it's clear what God is saying. And He clearly instructs us what to do in His Word. And yet, we look for more. Oftentimes it's because of a lack of faith. It's because of doubt. Or perhaps hesitancy to trust in God's Word. But here we see God answering these signs, perhaps dealing with Gideon's weak faith. We move on to uh, the next story, Abraham's servant. Let's turn to Genesis 24. And we'll be doing a little bit of flipping around just as we look at a few of these examples. Genesis 24, we have Abraham's servant. And Abraham's servant goes out to find a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac. So as he goes out to find this bride, we see in his prayer to God, he asks for a very specific sign. As he's praying to God, he comes to this source of water. Genesis 24, and let's start at verse 14. This is Abraham's servant praying to God, looking for the right bride for Isaac. 
Genesis 24:14. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, Please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, Drink. And I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. Abraham's servant is saying, Lord, the woman that I, uh, I asked for a drink, and she says, here's a drink, but let me give water to your cameras as well. That's going to be the one. That's going to be the woman that is going to be the bride of my master's son, Isaac. Well, this specific sign was, was requested. And look at verse 15. And it happened before he had finished speaking that behold, Rebekah, and it describes her background, Rebekah came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Right? And we see here that even before Abraham's servant was, was done requesting this very specific sign, that Rebekah arrives, right? An answer, a confirmation of this sign. Now, really, the, the, the one takeaway I pull from this is that it wasn't Abraham's servant request of a sign that caused God to start moving. No, God was already working behind the scenes. Right? How much earlier in the day did Rebecca have to leave her home and start journeying? And we look at God's perfect timing. Right? But Abraham's servant asked for this very specific sign. Right? Today's definition, he said, ordinary events with extraordinary meaning. It seems like a very ordinary thing. Here's some water. Okay, let me feed your camels too. But an ordinary event to Abraham's servant, it had extraordinary meaning. Extraordinary meaning. Was this an acceptable request? Well, doesn't seem to be any condemnation for it. And God does appear to answer that request even before Abraham's servant is done requesting it. We see here Abraham's servant is seeking direction. Right? Who would be the bride that I would choose for Isaac? So, looking for certain direction to make a choice that would be pleasing in God's eyes. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 20. 2 Kings chapter 20. Another example of an individual seeking a sign. And as you look at 2 Kings chapter 20, we see Hezekiah. And just a little bit of background, Hezekiah is very sick, even to the point of death. Right? And so he's near death, and Isaiah tells him he's going to die. And Hezekiah cries out to the Lord. And God tells Isaiah to inform Hezekiah that he will add 15 years to his life. Right? We talked about God giving signs or communicating with man through specific signs here, through the prophet Isaiah. Right? And Isaiah says to Hezekiah, you're going to have 15 years added to your life. And let's look at 2 Kings chapter 20, and look at verse 7. After this message is delivered, then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. Now, we hear about natural remedies today, right? But this was nothing short of a miracle, right? A lump of figs on the boil, and he was recovered. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, if that's not enough of a sign already that God's going to heal me, and God's going to be true to His Word, I don't know what is. But we read in verse 8, Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What is the sign that the Lord will heal me? When I read that, I just paused and I said, Hold on a second. Like, you just had this boil healed by a lump of figs. Like, what more do you want? And yet, God responds, right? And so Isaiah says, uh, This is a sign to you from the Lord in verse 9, that the Lord will do the thing which He has spoken. Shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go backward 10 degrees? And they're referring to the sundial. And Hezekiah says, Well, it's natural to go this direction. I want it to go the other direction. That will be a clear sign. And God answers Hezekiah's request for a sign. 
And might I suggest again that there's, I don't want to say uh, mistrust or distrust, but there's a lack of confidence in the clear word of God. Right? Isaiah, the prophet of God, spoke to Hezekiah, you're going to have 15 years added to your life. But what happened? Hezekiah wanted more. He sought after a sign. And God confirmed it. God answered his sign. We won't turn there, but with Moses in Exodus 4, here we have a case where Moses didn't necessarily ask for a sign, but God gave him a few signs, right? And what was it for? It was in dealing with his doubt. Right? So, Moses, as God commands Moses, you're going to go to Pharaoh, and you're going to go to the Egyptians, and, and tell them that the Lord Jehovah has sent you. Right? Well, what if they don't believe me, Moses said. Right? And what does God say? Take your staff, throw it on the ground, turns into a serpent. Pick it up, turns back into a staff. Take your hand, put it in your tunic. Right? Bring it out, it's full of leprosy. Put it back, bring it out, it's healed. Right? Two signs that God gave. Moses didn't necessarily request those signs, but in dealing with Moses' doubt, God gave him signs. And in each of these cases, it was in individuals that had doubt, right? that weren't trusting the Word of God, or that were seeking direction. When it comes to doubt, when God gives us His clear Word, Maybe trust it. I'm not saying it's easy all the time. But we can trust the Word of God, right? As God clearly tells us what He wants from us, right? Um, last week, Andrew talked about um, these first level and second level des- decisions, right? In discerning God's will. First level are commanded by God. If, if something's commanded by God, if it's in the Word of God, we have His will. We've discerned His will just by reading it. When there's doubt in God's Word, we turn to His Word. We trust in it. But in seeking direction, when we have other decisions, uh, Andrew talked about those second level decisions, those morally neutral decisions, right? That's where oftentimes we as believers have a tough time. We're going to talk a little bit about that um, as we continue on this morning. But thinking about um, this idea of seeking a sign, I was thinking about the topic of casting lots, right? So in casting lots, I said, is the, the practice of casting lots somewhat like seeking a sign, and I might be wrong in this, but I saw it very similar. I thought, I thought it was a form of asking for a sign from God, right? And so we have multiple occurrences, 70 times in the Old Testament, only 7 times in the New Testament, but the reference to casting lots. Back in that day, it may have been different sized sticks, stones. Today we think of flipping a coin, or rolling dice, right, when we talk about um, casting lots. But a few examples we have up here. The Urim and the Thummim, right? One example in 1 Samuel 28, um, and we know these were parts of the priestly garments. Uh, there are examples where these were used to determine and discern God's will. We don't have much details, uh, but many commentaries would suggest that it was perhaps similar to this idea of casting lots, to determine God's will. But Saul, in that verse, inquired of God, it says, says he inquired of God, but the Lord did not answer him by dream, by Urim, or by the prophets. Right? Didn't give him any type of sign, any type of indication when he inquired of the Lord. In dividing up the land, um, we see that the practice of casting lots was done. And not only was it practiced, it was commanded by God. Casting lots was commanded by God. What I found very interesting in 1 Chronicles 25, the dividing up of responsibilities for service for the Lord. Right? And we see in that um, passage that they're casting lots to divide up responsibilities. Now, I don't want to be too critical of it, because I'm just imagining Boulevard Bible Chapel gathering together a few weeks back 
We're planning for vacation Bible school. We have all of our workers. We're going to line them all up. And who's going to be in charge of music? All right, let's cast lots for it. Is that how you guys did it here? No, no, it's not. It almost seems silly, right, to, to cast lots. But this was something that was done in dividing up the responsibilities for the service. Excuse me, the service of the Lord. Jonah 1. Many of us are familiar with the story. The sailors are in this great storm and they want to determine who is responsible for this great storm coming. They feared for their lives. And they cast the lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Right? And um, was this by chance? Well, I would say no. Well, obviously, God is sovereign. He's in control. But in the casting of lots, it fell on Jonah. And we realize that once Jonah convinced them to throw him overboard because he had disobeyed God, it says that a great fish that God had appointed. God had prepared. This was part of his plan. So, so was God speaking through the casting of lots? Well, ultimately, his will was worked out. Right? But another example where casting lots takes place. Um, as we're looking at these examples, not every example is among followers of God or follow, followers of Christ. The soldiers at the cross, as they cast lots, it was a game to them. They were making a mockery of, of uh, this person that they didn't believe was to be the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. But another example of believers and followers of Christ in Acts chapter 1. I want you to turn there, Acts chapter 1, as we consider this topic, as we looked at biblical examples... In Acts, uh, in Acts 1, we have here the beginning of the church, right? And if there's any example that we should look at and try and mirror ourselves after, it would be believers in the Lord Jesus Christ that are part of the church, right? And we realize that this is after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. And this is as the church is being formed. We have in Acts chapter 1. And looking at this passage, we move on to our final question that I wanted to answer this morning. Should we seek signs today? And we look at the examples of the disciples. Now here the disciples are gathered to find a replacement for Judas. And let's read Acts chapter 1 and verse 26. As the disciples, the followers of Christ are gathered together, verse 26, And they cast their lots, and the lot fell on Matthias. And he was numbered with the eleven apostles. We have here the casting of lots to determine who would be the apostle to replace Judas. Now, I could just take that verse out of context and say, well, look, this was done by the disciples, by the apostles. They're part of the church. Hey, we should do that as believers today. Right? But I put up here just a few of the things as far as the steps that the, the disciples took in determining who would replace Judas. Right? It wasn't just, let's just get a whole bunch of random people together, throw some dice, and that'll be it. No, they determined the requirements. Right? They said if someone is going to be an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to be witness to his earthly ministry, witness to his death and his resurrection. Right? They have to have been with us from the beginning, it says. Then they search scripture. Look at Acts chapter 1 and verse 16. Men and brethren, this scripture had to be fulfilled. Right? Their goal was to live lives in accordance with scripture. We look further down from the Psalms in verse 20. Let another take his office. Hey, as believers, as followers of Christ, we want to fulfill Scripture. We want to obey what Scripture says. They sought counsel. Right, look at verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Altogether, the number of names was about 120. 120 brethren, 120 disciples, followers of Christ. And we see as we read through the passage 
they narrowed it down to two, right? Justice and Matthias. These were the two. Again, with that godly counsel, I'm sure they had some sort of conversation on who are we going to narrow it down to? And using that wisdom, using guidance from the Word of God to determine those requirements, they narrowed it down to two. But lastly, but not least, verse 24. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place and they cast their lots. Right? So before the casting of lots was done, they determined the requirements. They used their reasoning, their minds that God had given them. They searched the scripture. They sought counsel. And they prayed. May we follow this example as far as discerning God's will. Like too often we neglect using, using logical reason. After reading scriptures, what makes sense as it lines up with scripture? Right? Looking into scripture. Seeking godly counsel. But then casting lots. Uh, again, we talk about even praying. But then casting lots. Is this something we're to do today? Uh, as I was preparing, I read uh, there was an author, a Christian author, uh, that was sharing his experience with uh, two different small church gatherings that he was involved with. And both of these gatherings that he described appointed their leadership by casting lots. Now, this, now you might think, okay, well, this may have been ages ago. This was in 2011. 2011, they were casting lots to appoint leadership. Again, I'm, I'm a visiting speaker here. I have to be careful. I don't know if that's how Boulevard does it. I don't think that's how you guys do it. Um, but it, it almost seems strange, right? And we're going to get to a quote later on that I feel summarizes uh, the whole, uh, not just casting lots, but even the idea of seeking a sign, right? We have the Word of God. We, we have godly counsel around us. And what happened after Acts chapter 1 came Acts chapter 2? And what happened in Acts chapter 2? The Holy Spirit came. And every person here this morning, if we've put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to guide us in our decisions. When we look at this example and we continue on to try and answer the question, should we seek signs today? I have a passage there, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 40. And we see in that passage that the scribes and the Pharisees, they come about... And they say, um, give us a sign. Right? They ask for a sign. And Jesus, Jesus answers them and he says, pretty much, no, I'm not going to give you a sign. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. But you already have a sign. And he refers back to Jonah. Right? And uh, again, referencing the three days in the belly of the fish. And the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. How he would go to the cross. And he would be buried. And three days later, rise from the dead. But as Jesus, in a sense, condemns this request for a sign, and I'd love to talk with you afterwards because I'm not 100% sure on this, but is Jesus' response for everyone across the board that no sign will be given? Right? Is it wrong to ask for signs? Or does it come down to motive? Is it because of that evil and adulterous generation? Because they were all asking with the wrong motive. Luke eleven sixteen it says that these religious leaders were testing him. Jesus knew their thoughts. Again, just just a question: Is this Jesus condemning the asking of signs for everyone? Well, just a few potentials I have up here. Potential outcomes when we ask God for a sign. Right. So I thought of three different scenarios. And situation number one: We can ask for a sign. Right. We can ask God to bring about some somewhat ordinary event having extraordinary meaning, and we ask for that sign, and God confirms it. What's the potential here? The potential is, I begin to lose my trust in God, and I begin to trust in that sign. 
while up to that point I was trusting God and asking God for guidance and wisdom and, and God give me the wisdom in making the right decision but then I asked God give me a sign once I receive that sign my mind goes right to that sign right? and I'm trusting in the sign that God gave and I'm no longer trusting in Him there's potential for that what if we situation number two ask for a sign and God denies it what do I mean by God denies it Oftentimes, when believers ask for some sort of specific sign I shouldn't say all the time but oftentimes, I might have a certain desire in my heart Lord you know I want to make this decision so I'm going to ask for a sign that you confirm it but if God doesn't confirm it that was my heart's desire my heart was already heading in that direction and if God does not confirm that sign there could be discouragement God, you knew what I desired. You knew what I wanted. Why didn't you confirm that sign? And we again begin to lose trust in God because we're discouraged. Situation number three. We ask for a sign. God seems or appears to clearly confirm it, but then there's a contradictory outcome, right? The outcome of that request is completely different. God, I thought you answered. I thought you confirmed the sign for me. And again, we're discouraged. We said, God, you answered this to me, and now the outcome is not at all what I expected. In each of these situations, there's a potential to lose faith in God. And really, just this reminder, there could be a little bit of a danger in asking for a sign, because our focus turns away from God, and it turns on ourselves. It turns on that, that confirmation of that sign that we're asking for. When we ask God for a sign, or if we would ask God for a sign, we're, we're putting God in a box, right? And we're, we're trying to dictate how God is going to answer and when He's going to answer and the manner in which He'll answer us. And might I suggest that God can provide signs, as we say, um, but maybe not the signs that we're requesting. Maybe not the signs that we're looking for. He brings about certain situations, certain circumstances that can guide us in the right direction. We read in the Word of God many times, when uh, even in the book of Acts, uh, people were going to do a certain ministry and the Lord closed the door. We read in the epistles that the Lord opens doors, right? And maybe those are the signs that God is giving you, opening doors and closing doors. But I asked you this morning, what decision are you thinking about right now? And oftentimes when we talk about discerning God's will, we're, we're thinking about these big decisions. But really, the reminder is we should be trying to discern God's will in every decision in life, even the little decisions, the small ones. But what about big decisions? I'm sure there's people in this room that have some sort of big decision that's coming up. Right? And just think about it internally. You know, is there... Um, and maybe it's in the next few weeks, few months, a uh, few years maybe. Maybe there's something down the road. Maybe you've just gone through this process, right, of trying to make a big decision. And I put three categories up there. Oftentimes, we uh, want to discern God's will in our relational decisions, right? God, who do you want me to marry? God, do you want me to marry? Right? Occupational. And sometimes that even goes back a step to educational. Where should I go to school? What degree should I pursue? What job do you want me to take? What job should I change to? Is this an opportunity that you're giving me to discern your will? Help me, Lord. I need to make this decision and I want to please you as I make it. And then even financial, right? Big financial purchases, right? In our lives, whether it's um, what home to buy or, you know, what, what apartment to rent, what vehicle to buy. Right? And these are all things we, we've been uh, told to be good stewards of what God has given us. Right, So we need to think about these things when we're trying to discern God's will. Any type of financial purchase. Is this something that will please God? Is this something that lines up with Scripture, this purchase that I'm about to make? 
I'll share a, uh, a brief example. This was a true story from a, uh, an article that I found on a website, crosswalk.com. I'm sure some of you have heard of it. But the author uh, is writing about a friend, Brock. And this friend, Brock, lives in the Washington, D.C. area. And uh, uh, so very metropolitan city area. And he had a desire to begin a relationship with this woman, right? Her name was Kelly. She was from Texas. And he says, God, he asked for a sign. He says, God, I want to see a deer in the next week. And if I see a deer in the next week, that's confirmation that you want me to pursue a relationship with this, with this woman, Kelly. And you might say, well, wow, that's pretty bold faith. He lives in the city. He never sees deer there. Well, it just so happened that he was going out of town and out to the country for a retreat. And oftentimes when we ask for signs, like uh, mystical things like that, it's usually when, hey, maybe God is going to line this up with what I desire, right? So he goes on this retreat in the country, and the whole week where he was anticipating seeing a deer, doesn't see a deer. And, and disappointed, but he says, I asked God for a specific sign. He didn't show it to me. It, it must not be as well. It's hard for him to receive, hard for him to accept. But as he's driving back home, he's a little bit discouraged. But he's driving back home, and as he's going around the D.C. Beltway, getting off of his exit on the ramp, as he's coming into the city where he's never seen a deer before, there's a deer standing right in the middle of the ramp. And the author here, he says his friend pulled over to the side of the road. He stopped, and he just stared. And he said, wow, God just confirmed my sign in the most unusual place. Then I must pursue this relationship with Kelly. God confirmed the sign for me. So, he picks up his phone, calls Kelly. Kelly wants absolutely nothing to do with him. Right? And Kelly says, hey, we're friends and all, but I can never see this going beyond more than friends. Not in the slightest possibility. Might I suggest... That phone call conversation was more of a sign than that deer standing in the rent, right? And again, sometimes God allows certain situations and circumstances to say, Hey, look, I'm going to close this door. I'm going to open this door. But to look at these mystical signs, it's, it seems silly. It seems foolish. And as I, as I, I shouldn't mock this individual, Brock, I'm sure he's a nice guy, but he asked himself, how could a fleece, again, a God honoring the fleece, how could a fleece so uniquely answered and distinctly answered not be reflecting the reality? But that was the case. And as I'm, I'm almost, and I don't want to say making a joke of this idea, but sometimes people ask for the weirdest signs. I'm going to ask, who wants to fess up? Who here has ever asked for some sort of sign like that? Please don't raise your hands. I'll share my own personal story. And you're, you're maybe thinking, who does Boulevard invite here to speak? We have people asking for these mystical signs. Um, but I, I would share two quick examples. So I, I was looking to purchase a car, right? And, and we talked about financial decisions. I don't like making big financial decisions. I hate it, actually. And so as I'm thinking about buying a car, I'm just saying, like, looking at all these cars, I'm like, God, and not that I said, God, give me some mystical sign, but I said, God, just make it, make it clear in some way. I said, God, really give me some sort of sign, some sort of indication that this particular car or that particular car is the one that you want me to purchase. And again, I'm like, this is silly. Like, I, not that I'm asking for a deer to be standing in the middle of the road in one week, but give me some sort of indication. So after going to dealerships, looking online, looking on Craigslist, so I found a post on Craigslist for a car. And I'm looking at this car. And the most important thing to me, the price. It was down low enough that I was like, hey, I'm interested in this car. Right? But I started reading about it. I started looking at the pictures. And as I'm looking at the pictures, look at the front, look at the side. A couple of scratches on the front bumper. Then I look at the back. And I look at the back and I'm like, what is that on the back of the car? 
And so as I'm looking on the back of the car, I see this. Now to you, this might just be a magnet, but to me it was a sign from God. No, and I say that partially joking. As I see this, so what this is, this is a, now, now bear with me, as I'm creating this narrative in my mind, I'm making up this whole story. So this is a, a magnet for the Christian radio station by a star 99.1. Not that I'm fully supportive of all the songs they play, but it's an alright station. Star 99.1. And I see this magnet for a, a Christian radio station on the back of the car. So here's the narrative that I create. Okay, so the individual selling this car must be a Christian because they listen to Christian radio, right? And isn't that the case? Everyone that listens to Christian radio is a believer. No, again, foolishness in my mind. I say, and if they're a Christian, then their parents must have raised them with Christian values. And if they have good Christian values, then everything on this Craigslist person will be honest and sincere. And if they're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, they have to take care of their car because we know every Christian takes good care of their car. We know that's not true. I'll be the first to admit, you look at my car, that's not the case, right? And I'm creating this whole narrative in my head, all because of what I was like. And again, kind of half-joking, kind of, God, is this some sort of sign? Do you want me to look into this? And it's foolishness, right? If we look for signs like that. I stopped. I got a hold of my senses, and I said, Joe, slow down here. And I saw Godly counsel. And we say godly counsel, wise counsel when it comes to cars. Um, and I don't know if you remember this, Uncle Aaron, I gave you a call, and I, I said, I'm not going to base my purchase of this car on a magnet. I said, let me give Uncle Aaron a call, a call. I know nothing about cars. Hey, what should I look for? What should I check for? That was the wise thing to do, right? Talk to someone who knows cars, who can say, look for this, listen for that. Does it have this? All these different details. I'm not trusting in some magnet that I see on the back of the car. Again, Using that wise counsel in that particular case, Uncle Aaron, I apologize if you get a bunch of phone calls from people. Uh, but using the minds that God gave us, right? I move on to another decision I had to make. Changing jobs. Right? I've been in the same job for the last, the same position at, at the, the same hospital for the last seven years, I want to say. And so people came to me with multiple job offers and said, Joe, you should apply for this job. Joe, you'd be great for this job. And I, uh, I said, Lord, it's just too much for me. I don't like making big decisions. I don't like change. And so I said to God, and whether this was me asking for a particular sign, I said, God, if you really want me to move to another job, I'm not going to be looking for any jobs. The next job offer is going to come to me without even thinking about it, without even looking or searching for a job. And sure enough, in the next few months, two more job offers came to me. I said, God, is, is this a sign? Is this you indicating to me that you want me to switch jobs? One of, one of them even, it was a, a lady from another local assembly who called me and is like, Joe, you'd be great for this job. You should really you know, think about switching this. And I said, God, is this, is this really something you want me to do? And I thought, wait, did God just answer this sign that I had asked for? And so as I was thinking about that, I said... Who am I to, to limit God and to put him in a box and say, God, if the job offer comes to me, that's the one that you want me to choose. No, I want to look at, you know, use my reason and compare it with Scripture, right? And does it line up with God's desire for my life as spelled out in Scripture? So with this job, okay, there was a higher pay. There was more potential for growth and advance in my career. But it also meant another 10, 15 hours at work each week. Right? Less time with my family. What about my responsibilities as a father? It meant that there were going to be a few more weekends that I had to work and longer hours that 
I might miss occasionally gathering with the saints on the midweek prayer meeting, on Sunday mornings, right? And again, I've got to look at the Word and say, well, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, as is the manner of some, right? And, and I had to think about these things, and, and does this decision make sense when I line it up with Scripture? And so ultimately, I stayed in the same position. I wasn't going to say, well, God, this was the sign. The job offer came to me without me seeking it out. I said, what does the Scripture have to say about it? Let me pray about it. And it was a very frustrating I don't like making big decisions. It was very stressful. But all that while, if I asked God for that sign, He gave me that sign and said, okay, God, I'm trusting in this sign now. I'll lose that daily, repetitious, continual, ongoing dependence on God. Right? So we need to make sure that we're not focusing on these signs that we're asking for, but that we're seeking out God. That we want God to be the one that guides our decisions. What big decisions are you facing today even? Right? Are you seeking that counsel? Are you looking into Scripture? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Are you praying about that decision? These are the things that we should do to make the decisions that would be in accordance with God's will. Whether we can distinctly say that we should not ask for signs from God, the question I want you to ask yourself, is it the best way to seek His will? Right? God may respond to our fleecing, like He may honor the fleece, uh, and maybe the sincerity of a young believer, and even me in, in my, my weakness and my doubt and my lack of faith, I might ask for some sort of sign that God's going to speak to me. But we have all these other resources that God has given us to look to, when it comes to discerning His will. I have this quote up here, and this was from the website Got Questions, which they have a lot of good uh, reasoning uh, when it comes to Scripture. But um, this is specific to casting lots, but I want to read this, because I feel like it summarizes what we've been discussing this morning. The New Testament nowhere instructs Christians to use a method similar to casting lots to help with decision-making. Now that we have the completed Word of God, as well as the indwelling Holy Spirit to guide us, there is no reason to be using games of chance to make decisions. The Word, the Spirit, and prayer are sufficient for discerning God's will today. Not casting lots, rolling dice, or flipping a coin. And might I suggest not even asking for a sign. Right? Don't seek a sign. Seek after God. Discerning the will of God. When we want to discern the will of God, Right? We want to look at those things. Right, Looking at Scripture. Allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us. Seeking out godly counsel. Praying about it. But in discerning the will of God. For sake of time, we're not going to turn there. But I'm just going to read some of these verses for you. When you have tried to discern the will of God, have you considered these verses? There are multiple, multiple places in Scripture that tell us this is the will of God. And too often, we're focused on uh, making these, again, what we learned last week, these second-level decisions. God, I want to know who I should marry, where should I go to college, what job should I have? And yet, we're completely ignoring what God has clearly laid out in His Word as the will of God. And if I'm not willing to obey the Word of God as it lays out for me the will of God, why should I expect God to answer me in these other situations? But Ephesians chapter 5, verses 17 through 20, it says, Understand what the will of the Lord is. And it goes on to say, Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, um, it says, The God of peace, that He would make you complete in every good work, 
to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight. How do we know what's well-pleasing to God? What's in His Word? Right? And the great thing is, when we're trying to discern God's will, it's God working in us. Right? The Word of God tells us right there. God working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight, that we would do His will. Multiple times over this phrase, this is the will of God. 1 Peter 2.15 For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Matthew 6.10 There even as Jesus prayed, He said, uh, Your will be done. Right? May that be our prayer, that God's will will be done in our lives. We're not here to please us, to have a comfy, cozy life. We're here to honor the Father, to glorify Him. May, may we make decisions where we discern God's will and make decisions that are well-pleasing in His sight. I want to invite you to turn, just in closing, to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, just to read um, even just one or two verses there. But here we have one more passage that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. Uh, but in 1 Kings 19, we have Elijah. And in Elijah's story, he felt at this point in time that he was the only one left that was seeking after God and serving God. And he tells him, I- I'm the only one left. right? And he-, he listens to the voice of God, and God commands him to go up to this mountain. And he's waiting for God to speak to him. And here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11, as he's waiting for God's, um, God's word, as he's waiting to discern God's word, what do you want me to do? I'm running for my life. 1 Kings 19 and verse 11. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. As we continue on in the passage, we see then the Lord speaks to Elijah. And oftentimes in our lives, we're looking for that sign, right? That, that huge, where's that mighty wind? Where's that earthquake? Where's that fire that's just going to, hey, this is confirmation. But what about God's word? What about that still small voice? God is trying to speak to us as we pray to Him, as we read His Word, as we seek out Godly counsel, as we allow the Holy Spirit to speak, oftentimes in that still small voice. The question is, are you listening? Am I listening? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You for these tremendous blessings You give us. And You've given us Uh, so much detail when it comes to um, discerning your will. And yet we cry out as we sang this morning, Lord, we need you. Every hour we need you. And yet we often neglect your word. We often ignore your spirit. We pray that you would cause us to soften our hearts, to open our hearts, open our eyes, open our minds, that we would read your word, that we would believe your word, that you would remove the doubt, and you would give us direction as we give the the wonderful minds that you've given us, as we use them to read your word, to understand your word, as we allow your Holy Spirit to lead us, as we pray, we pray for each person here, whatever decisions they may face, that they would be led to make decisions that are pleasing to you. You know the most important decision, Heavenly Father, to trust your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, as our personal Savior. 
We pray that each person here has done that. But then from there, we pray that every decision we make would be uh, with a desire to please you, to discern your will, and live lives that are well-pleasing to you. We pray all these things in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.